Hebrews chapter 11, reading from verse verse 8. This is God's Word. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Well, we come to this Hebrews chapter 11, and we're thinking about the life of Abraham. And the question that I have for us is, do we live a life of faith? We're going to think about faith this morning. And the question is, do we live a life of faith? Now, uh, I was able to go back to Portadown College this week uh, to speak at their SU, and uh, I left Portadown College in 2010, and nothing had changed in Portadown College from uh, whenever I had left. Oh, I was saying to Danielle this morning, all the, all the pictures outside the assembly hall are still exactly the same as they were in 2010. But whenever I was at Portadown College, I had this wonderful opportunity of uh, doing the Duke of Edinburgh Award. And what would happen is that we would stay behind after school and you would uh, go to one of the classrooms and you'd open up this, this huge map of the morns and the teacher would start to help you plot your way through. And so you would have a, a start point at Tullymore Forest Park uh, and then you would make your way across the morns and you'd think, oh, well, I'll go up this one and around this one and up this one. And, and the teacher would say, well, that one, do you see how steep the lines are there? That's going to be really difficult. You should maybe think of a different route. And this would go on for weeks and weeks and weeks plotting out your route, plotting out where you would go. And uh, the teacher there, he was very considerate. He would, he would brief us and, and give us uh, uh, lots of rules and lots of guidance on this. And then whenever it came to actually going away on the expedition, he told us very specifically how you should pack your bag, that you needed to bring super needles and barley sweets and all of this for and a bivy bag in case you got stranded on the mountain. You needed something to, to wrap yourself in. And he, he took us through it. He was meticulous. And then we got the final briefing, as it were, at school. And then we got the final, final briefing as we were getting off the minibus. 
And you know, Duke of Edinburgh, it's one night in the morns, right? So, <laughs> for, for bronze, Duke of Edinburgh. And then off we would go on this little expedition, this little walk around the morns. And the teacher would have followed us like he was something out of the SAS. You'd have thought he was behind every tree and behind every rock and every wall. He was always trying to watch us. And we were so scared of going off track, right? He was following us all the way. He had, he had zero faith in us that we would be able to negotiate the Morn Mountains as a group of teenage lads and make it back safely. He had due reason. One of the boys threw the, the liquid, you know, out of the tranche. He threw the liquid on the hedge. He thought it was out. Hedge and fire, us boys jumping on it, patting it out. Thankfully, the fire went out, and we did make it out of the morns. Now, what's the point of telling, telling that story? Right? The, teacher, the teacher had no confidence in us. He was always checking us, always watching us, always, always peering at us, always making sure that we were doing just exactly what we were meant to. And actually, as we start to think about what it means to live a life of faith, that's, that's like us. We, we become the teacher, and we treat God like this group of little teenage boys going out into the morn mountains. We, we watch him. Lord, Lord are, are you doing exactly what you're meant to be doing in my life? Are, are you taking me on the right path? I, I don't think you're taking me on the right path. Actually, you should be doing this. You should, you should take us this way. And what we do is we watch and we lurk in the background and we wrestle back control. Ultimately, we do not trust the Lord. Ultimately, we don't live a life of faith. Now, as we've been looking through Genesis, we've been seeing what in Abraham's life. Well, look at it with me in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. What do we see characterizes Abraham's life? It is faith. So, verse 8, and this refrain will run throughout, by faith, verse 8. Verse 9, by faith. Verse 11, by faith. Verse 13, in faith. Verse 17, by faith. What do we learn about Abraham? He is a man of faith. This family is a family of faith. A husband and a wife who lived by faith. Now we say this word, and I think it kind of hangs out there. It's a little bit generic. We talk about faith and being faithful. And that kind of covers lots of things. So what I want us to do is I want us to take some time, firstly, to figure faith out. And then we're going to see the the flowing of faith. What happens? We're going to figure it out, and then we're going to talk about how it functions, and then we'll talk about how it leads us into following Jesus. So we're going to look at three different things. The first is figuring faith out. What is faith? We are a people of faith. There are many faiths. You maybe go into a hospital or into a workplace, and there's a, a faith room. What is faith? Well, as we start to talk about Jesus and the Christian faith this morning, here's what we want to say. We want to say that faith is not blind. It's not just a wish or a crossing of our fingers. It's it's not a feeling. It's not empty hope. It isn't leaving things to chance. Look at verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. And you'll see it here on the the screen. That's me taking that from the ESV. The two words that I want us to focus in on, I think sometimes our eyes can go to the things hoped for, as if that's empty. What we need to see this morning is those two words. Faith is what? The assurance. 
absolute assurance and the conviction of things that are not seen. One of the commentators puts it like this, faith is rock-solid trust that when God makes a promise that it is true and that it is right. So our faith, as people of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this trust that we put into the Lord Jesus, it's not blind, it's not weak, it's not flimsy, it's not kind of a, a, a wing and a prayer and a wish and, and this kind of notional, notional fluff that sits in society or where people of faith. This is assurance. This is conviction. It's secure and robust. So, faith in Christian terms is trusting the promise-making and the promise-keeping God. Trusting the promise-making and the promise-keeping God. Now, what are these promises? What are these promises that we keep talking about that should change our lives? Well, the promises are this. There's a promise today that Jesus will return. That's a fact. Jesus is going to return to this earth the Son of God. Fully God and fully flesh, His feet will stand on the earth one day. And the next promise is that He will judge the living and He will judge the dead. And there's a promise that for all who have repented of their sin and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. There's a promise that those who are Christians, who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who put their faith in Him, their trust in Him, that they will live with Jesus forever. That we'll dwell with Him in the new heaven, the new earth. We'll be with Him. The great promise of revelation, there'll be no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things will have passed away. There will be a promise, and there is a promise for us, that our faith will be rewarded. So the next question then is, if that's us sort of thinking then, what is faith? It's the assurance and the conviction that this is absolutely true, that this is not fluff or some sort of notion, that our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ is true, it is founded, it is factual, that Jesus will return, that He is alive and He is at the Father's right hand. Then the next thing that I want us to think about is the question of what, what, does, what does faith then do in us? What, what did it do in Abraham? How can he be described as a man of faith? What, what was going on in his life? And this brings us to our second point, that faith functions. Faith functions, and it functions because of Jesus. Look at it in verse 8. Verse 8 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So what do we want to see? Faith functions, and in this, I have kind of two sub-points, and uh, please try and stay, stay with this with me this morning. I know it's a lot, but faith functions. It is active, and it is obedient. Faith is active, and faith is obedient. How do we know it's active? Verse 8, by faith, Abram goes and does something, doesn't he? He puts his trust in the Lord, and that trust enables him to do something. It is active. It is not dead. And as we think about this, and we'll go on to think about obedience, this quote here from Sinclair Ferguson, I think, 
unlocks for me what faith is. And this is what he says. He says, faith is the response of our whole being to the person of the Lord. Let's just take a moment to take that in. Faith is the response of us, of our whole selves, to the being of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, it is what we do as we hear the gospel, as we see Jesus, as He calls us out. It's, it's what happens. Faith is that coming into action. It is active. It is demonstrated. It functions. It moves and it lives, doesn't it? To have faith in Jesus is shorthand for saying that Jesus has my life, that I live differently. Yes, my faith is in Jesus, and that means that means that you should see it in me. You should see my life. Not passive, not fluff, not airy-furry, not some watery notion. Faith in Jesus, as it were, is, is stout. It is life-changing. And then as, it, as we're active in it, and that's what we see throughout Abram's life, highlighted here in Hebrews 11, it also moves us into obedience. Look at verse 8. By faith... Abraham obeyed. He obeyed. Verse 8, when he was called to go out, he went. And so true faith doesn't just, and, and, and I'm not trying to provoke us unnecessarily this morning, but true faith does not just sit in the pew week by week. True faith does not just idly float by Luther said that true faith is a busy little thing. I thought that was lovely. True faith is a busy little thing. It does something in us. Faith is, is what moves us, provokes us out. And so we see this in Hebrews 11. We see all these different people and their way of being obedient as they follow the Lord. So faith and action. Word and action. Matching up faith and love, spilling out in obedience of the Lord. So the question is, if we were to go around churches in Northern Ireland this morning and ask people, do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Loads of people would say yes. Loads of people here this morning would say, yes, I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But is your faith active and is it obedient? See, not some watery notion, not some airy furry thing, not something that just sits up here. Oh, yes, I have faith. Is it active? Is it obedient? Are we exercising faith and obedience, active faith, as we give to the work of the gospel here at Hill Street? Have we been going to church for years upon years, and maybe all that we do, we, we claim to be someone of faith, but all that we do is we throw a, a fiver into the plate annually, and we think, there we go, that's me, I'm living a life of faith. No obedience. What about whenever it comes to serving in the church? Are we active? Are we living out our faith? Are we obedient? Or do we just want to live a life of convenience? 
or whenever it comes to sin, sin in our lives, is there obedience, obedience to God's Word? Or do we just disregard the call of Jesus to be holy, to live out our faith, and instead we indulge in sin and feed sin and let it grow? See how this starts to change us? Faith in Jesus is not just this this thing out there. It is radical. It takes a hold of us. It changes us into active obedience. And you see, whenever we look at Hebrews chapter 11, do you know what can happen? We can read Hebrews chapter 11, and we can read of all of these greats, and we can look at the life of Abraham, and we can think, well, they were, they were great. That's an incredible story of faith. But incredible stories of faith are just for people like George Muller from church history, who fed lots and lots of children under his care by faith. That's, that's what faith is. Or Maud Kells, or Jim Elliott, or, or someone else, in our, they're people of faith. I'm not called to be a person of faith. But actually, we are called to be people of faith. All of us living our lives in our simple, humble way, exercising faith day after day. What is it? Obedience and being active in the work of the gospel. Living as people who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so some people say, and we encounter this, I've encountered it, and Nigel has, I'm, I'm sure, encountered it. People will say, oh, I have faith. I'll be okay but it's some vague notion. I think we confuse faith sometimes with belief in a God. Oh, there's a God out there, yeah. I believe in him. Look at what James, it'll come up on the screen. Look at what James chapter 2 and verse 19 says. The whole book of James is really about this point, what it means to live a life of faith, to see our faith in action. And I took this from the authorized because I think there's something poetic in it. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe, and they tremble. See, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ changes us. John Calvin put it like this, it is faith alone that justifies, but the faith that justifies is not alone. See that little play on words? It is faith alone that justifies us. Putting our faith, our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ saves us. But that faith that justifies, proper faith, living faith, is never alone. It's always accompanied with action. It changes us. Faith is active. Faith moves us into obedience, into holiness, into Christ-likeness. Look at what it does for Abraham. Look at verses 8 through 10. It takes him to this place. The Lord calls him out to a place, and he's active, and he's obedient in it. And then look at what happens, verses 11 and verses 12, this promise of parenthood, that you're going to become a father, and sir, you're going to become a mother. Sir, you're 90, and Abraham, you're 99. And physically, it doesn't seem like that's possible, but it will happen. And they have to trust and they have to believe. Sinclair Ferguson talking about this says, you've got to read between the lines in this one. We're not going to spell it out in church this morning. But a 90-year-old and a 99-year-old, they had to be active. They had to take this promise and they had to act upon it, even though it seemed so unlikely. 
there was obedience involved. And then the provision. Look at verses 17 through 19. The Lord provides. And so as we read this, like I've said, the problem can be faith's just for Abraham. Great for him. He's in the hall of fame, sometimes we call this in Hebrews chapter 11. It's known as the hall of fame. Imagine going down this hallway and we've got Abraham and Moses and all the greats are down the side. And considering the World Cup's on, I thought we would use a World Cup illustration. It's a little bit like walking down the, the football hall of fame, isn't it? And we pass all of these photographs. Pele, Diego Maradona, George Best, Johan Cruyff, Franz Backenberg. I'm playing to all the older members here of the congregation. Some man called Alfredo Di Stefano. I don't even remember him. Cristiano Ronaldo, for those of our generation, or Lionel Messi. And what we do is we walk past all of these photographs and we think, I, well, I could never play fo- football like Messi or Cristiano. I'm a little bit overweight and a little bit not agile enough and not fit enough, not talented enough to ever play like them. And similarly in Hebrews chapter 11, we walk down this hall of fame and we think, I can never live a life like that. The point is not that it's a hall of fame. The point is that this is a a family album. Think about it like this. It's a family album of faith to present the dust, the next generation. And in this family album, as we turn the pages, we have little Polaroids at, at times in people's lives. And, and as we look into Abraham's life, and as we've been looking at it over the last number of weeks, there are little Polaroids, little snapshots, and there's a little bit of writing beside it. He, here's Abraham's life, and here's whenever he was obedient. This is what it meant to live a life of faith. And he's the father of the faith. He's your father of the faith. And so as this family album is handed to us, what are we meant to say? We're meant to say, this is who I am. Abraham was just like me. He's just a normal man, following an extraordinary God, living a life of obedience, being active in his faith. It's meant to show us our family genes. It's meant to encourage us. It's inspiring stories of ordinary people who trust in an extraordinary God, the same God that we trust in today, the same God that we're called to live faithfully for today. And you know what? In Abraham's life, what do we see? It's not just all sunshine, sure it's not. It's not just all easy. It's not that Abraham had the best and most easiest life. It's not as if he was cycling downhill with the wind at his back all the time. It's difficult. Moments of real challenge for him. Through the highs and through the lows, he's faithful. So faith functions. It functions. It does something in us. And then finally, and much, much, much shorter, faith follows Jesus. Faith follows Jesus. Who's the leader in this story in Hebrews? Who's been the leader throughout Abraham's life? Isn't it God? God takes the initiative in in Genesis chapter 12. It's God who takes the initiative in Genesis 15, in Genesis 18. And it's God that leads him. It's God who calls him out. And he simply follows, and so it is for us. That's what it means to be a Christian. Jesus has called us to come and to follow him, and day by day, week by week, we live faithful. Faithful in the small is what we sometimes say here, in the day-to-day choices. Now, how can we do this? 
How can we live a life of faith? You see, Abram received promises chapter after chapter, promises to bless him and to make him great. But like any human, Abraham and Sarah, they doubted, and they needed encouragement. So these are two questions. We're really only going to focus on one. But I believe these two questions and how we answer them changes our life. I firmly believe this. It changes our life forever, how we answer these two questions. A question, firstly, that's found in Genesis 18 and in verse 14. The Lord speaks to Abram and he says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, how we answer that will change everything. It will change how we live as Christians, a life of faith. And then another question that's found in Genesis 18 Genesis 18, 14 is anything too hard for the Lord. Genesis 18, 25, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? The Lord speaking. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? In those moments where life seems to crumble around us, that question changes everything. Will the judge of all the earth not do what is right? But for the couple of minutes that we have left, I want to focus in on this question, Genesis 18 and 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And how that will change our life. I almost want people to shout back at me, but don't do it, it's fine. (laughs) Is anything too hard for the Lord? Absolutely not, right? Can he make the world from nothing? Can he just speak and create the world? Does he have the ability to make human beings in all of our complexity? Can he split the sea? Can he calm the sea with just a word? Can he walk on the sea? Can he rain down fire and sulfur as we have thought about in this story of Abraham? Can he flood the earth? Can he visit the earth? Here's a question. Can he make a dead man live? Can he make dead people live? Can he pay the price for sin? Can he defeat Satan? Can he grant us eternal life? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Can he feed 5,000 with a couple of fish and a handful of bread? Can he make the blind see? Can he make the lame walk? Does he have the power to heal? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Can he save me? Can he save you? Can he forgive me of all of my mistakes? Can he forgive you of all of your mistakes? Can he love someone, maybe you're going to say to me, John, can he love someone who has done the things that I have? Can he possibly give me eternal life? Would he let me share a street with Abraham in glory? Surely he wouldn't be interested in someone like me. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Absolutely not. He saves sinners, doesn't he? He calls us into active obedience to live a life of faith. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is any sin too great for him? Absolutely not. Is anything too hard for him? No. And the problem is that we have a small view of God, don't we? We shrink God down. 
We shrink him down in his power. We shrink him down in his influence. We shrink him down in his relevance. We shrink his grace and his love and his forgiveness. Listen this morning. This is the Almighty God, the everlasting God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God that we're dealing with. A God of love and grace and mercy. I was trying to think, how do we deal with him? A little bit like how I was whenever I was younger. I loved toy soldiers, right? Every time I went out, if I was allowed, (laughs) I asked mum for a bag of toy soldiers. Mum, can I have a bag of toy soldiers? Mum, can I have a bag of toy soldiers? And toy soldiers dominated our living room for probably about 10 years. (laughs) But see, as you grow up, toy soldiers become irrelevant, don't they? And we find bigger things and better things to play with. That's a little bit like how we view God, isn't it? He, 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 he was great whenever we were younger. Whenever we were the children's age, he was great. He seemed so big and so mighty, so strong, there's nothing that he cannot do. But as we get older, kind of become smaller, irrelevant, less powerful. This is the God of all the earth. Look at verse 10. Did Abraham have a big view of God? Well, you're right, he did verse 10. Abram, verse 10, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What's he saying? Abram's looking right down the, the corridor of time, and he's looking for the Lord and for his place. And that's what we hear throughout this, isn't it? He's looking for somewhere, somewhere that's yet to come. He's holding on to the promise that a Savior is going to come. He lives in light of this final destiny. And as, as it were, he lives his life backwards. He knows how it's all going to end, and that changes how he lives. He knows what the end story is, and it changes how he lives. And so as we close, do we see how big our God is? Do we see how the story ends? Do we see how he will take us to be with himself, to be in this city, to be in this place with himself? And then will that help us to live a life of faith? Will this question, is anything too hard for the Lord, help us to live? Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Will that not help us to live a life of faith? Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. What do we hear this morning? Abram could only dream of the things that we know. He, He was clinging on, as it were, in a dark room, a shaded room to the Lord Jesus, waiting for him, hoping for him. John chapter 8, verse 56. This is what the Lord says. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. We live, friends, this side of the cross. The fulfillment of every promise in Scripture in Jesus Christ. And he calls us to live lives of faith. To come to him and to live for him in active obedience. So what could keep us from it? What could keep us from the Lord Jesus? What could keep us from living obediently today? Because he will return. And he will judge this earth. I trust today 
that Hebrews chapter 11 changes us, and it helps us to see that faith functions and that faith follows. And God has done everything that we need. He just simply calls us to follow Him.